I'd like to begin with a question, and this question is so important to where we're going that I'd encourage you right away to pull out your purple inserts and write this question down. Have you ever experienced something indescribable? Something indescribable. Maybe it was a special trip that you took, or maybe it was a very eventful day, or it could have been an encounter with a remarkable person. It could have been something you heard or something that you saw or something that you felt. If we had a small group right now, we were able to share, I bet everyone could come up with something that they experienced that was indescribable, right? Uh, well, I just got back from a couple of weeks of snow camp with our young people. And one of the first things that people have said when I, when I saw them again was, so how was it? And trying to describe what we experienced these last couple of weekends, words fall short. They, they just fall short. Um, I could start with the layer of the event itself. But, but how do you describe watching fourth and fifth graders on their own? We didn't, we didn't say that you, everyone has to do this. They, they, they chose. They came forward while we were singing and, and knelt before the cross. And were giving their hearts to Jesus. And how, how, do, you, how do you describe that? I could start at a different layer. I could start at the layer of watching as, as we're, we're seeing a vision unfold. And, and, and I could try to describe what it's like to have taken several years ago um, a few 6th through 12th graders up to Covenant Pines for a one-night overnight. And then to watch as now, several years later, w- this month we've got a group of preteens that we took up there, a separate group of middle schoolers that we took up there, and now our high schoolers are going up next weekend. And, and to watch this thing continue to grow and develop. I could go to that level, but words would fall short there too. I could start at the layer of leadership development. That is so central to who we are as a church, and I could start there. But how do you describe what it's like to be at an event like that where seasoned leaders are pouring into the younger leaders, and the younger leaders are pouring into us? We had everyone there in leadership from 7th grade junior counselors all the way up to grandfathers. How cool is that to have a leadership team like that? So I could share about that, but words would fall short. I could describe, try to describe what it's like to sit in the back of the room and to watch our skit teams this year. Skits that a high schooler and middle schooler helped to write. Skits that are integrating special lighting and sound cues and videos and costumes. Skits that made people laugh and cry. Um, Skits that are part of a, get this, five-year story arc that starts as a fourth grader. You're going to be able to experience this, and it goes five years. Nailing in on key themes that preteeners and middle schoolers are dealing with. How, How do you describe something like that? Or how do you describe, just on a fun note, how do you describe what it's like to participate in, um, in this game that has been evolving each year? Um, this game that is now so epic, it is like stepping into an open world video game. Covenant Pine said, can we use that game? They're going to use it with the high schoolers. Um, this game that just keeps developing. And, and I was thinking even just what angle do you take with this game? Because there's just the angle of leadership development within this game. Where last year we're playing this game, and this high schooler developed a strategy where he completely annihilated us leaders up on Yeti Mountain. He just annihilated, right? Well, this year we come back and now we got the counter strategy. Well, this year, so our our counter strategy, we come charging down Yeti Mountain and we grabbed four Santa hats. Come on, four Santa hats. That's pretty remarkable. And we take these four Santa hats and we run up to our base. And what do we find up at our base? We find a seventh grader 
who had led a team of a ragtag team of fourth and fifth graders. They had led an all-out assault, orchestrated an all-out assault on Yeti Mountain, had completely taken over our base. They're holding seven of our Santa hats. And they're saying, okay, they can't get all of us. So I'm going to go this way. I'm like, that is Wilhelmina Wallace in action. That is leadership development. This is awesome. So how do we describe these things that we're encountering in a weekend? How, how do you, words fall short? And how much, wor, how much more, how much more did words fall short um, at our middle school communion service? As we were watching this skit where the Christ figure lays down his life and then returns and is now welcoming this high school student home. And then one of our college students gets up and she says, will you join me in singing? And, and we're singing this amazing song called At the Cross. And then it's my job to get up now and tell these students about Jesus and who the real Jesus is and was. What words do you use to describe Jesus? There's a place to write this in your notes. Words fall short when it comes to describing what it means to know and follow Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? They fall short. How do you describe the one who reveals himself as Savior and Lord and friend, as God and man, as lion and lamb, as prophet, priest, and king, who is full of grace and truth, who is full of justice and mercy, who seem to always know what to say and how to pray. In the Gospel of John alone, which is a book of the Bible that we're going to work through together in this season called Lent, in just the book of John, Jesus describes himself in multiple ways, each one as rich as the next. Here are some of the statements that Jesus makes about himself in the book of John. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. Well, and he doesn't stop there. In the book of John, Jesus uses more than a dozen physical items to teach spiritual truths. And he offers at least seven of these signs that point to him being as the Messiah. Each one could be a, a series in itself. Are words important? Yes, they're very important. Words are very important. And words also fall short when you try to describe the indescribable. Here's what what John says as he gets towards the end of his gospel. He writes this in John 21, 25. He says, now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And this is coming from someone who had the help of the Holy Spirit inspiring his words. Wow. Are words important? Yes. But words fall short when it comes to trying to describe Jesus. There's a place to write this in your notes. Christianity must be experienced to be understood. Can I get an amen to that one? And, and what I should have added in there is Christianity must be experienced in authentic community to be understood. And even then, there's always going to be deeper levels to this thing. When Jesus stepped into our world in human form, he could have stepped into this world as an author. And for the record, we are huge fans of books around here. In fact, for this series, we highly recommend these. Uh, there's two little books, a part one and a part two. They look just like this. 
It's called John for Everyone by N.T. Wright. I want to strongly encourage everybody to get copies of this. You can pick them up on Amazon. We even have a couple copies out there in the lobby. Just if you could be so kind as to throw a little donation in the mailbox, that'd be awesome if you take one. But, but pick these up. And each, each day has, or each section has a little bit of scripture and then some explanation about it. Great book. We recommend it to everybody. We are huge fans of books. And, and, reading isn't enough if you want to understand Christianity. That's one of the reasons Jesus didn't come as an author. Nor did Jesus come as a university professor. And I believe in education. My undergrad degree is in education. I'm a huge fan. Every one of our pastors, when you see the word pastor here at our church, it means something. One of the things it means is that all of us have master's degrees if we're a pastor. We believe in education. And when Jesus came, that's not the, 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 the primary way he instructed people. Even though he's the master teacher, he didn't found a university. Jesus could have chosen to appear as a YouTuber. Jesus, and you know, by the way, I said it. I just am not a big YouTuber guy. Jesus could have appeared when he was able to stream his teachings live to billions of people at once. He could have come at a day when that happened. He could have come when, okay, when I'm getting my message out for the first time, it's going to go to everyone right in the comfort of their own homes. Jesus could have chosen to do that. At a time when he could have tweeted his parables, at a time when he could have video conference with disciples all around the world, he could have chosen to come at any time. He could have chosen to come then. And, and again, hear me on this. I believe in technology. I believe in it. We use it all the time at Emmanuel. We post all of our sermons online. Technology is a powerful tool that can be used to honor God. And, and, I believe that the term online church is dangerously misleading. And we can talk more about that another time if you'd like. I believe it's misleading. When Jesus stepped into our world, he didn't step in as an author, even though he was the author and perfecter of our faith. He didn't step in as a university professor, even though he was the master teacher. He didn't usher into an age, into our world, an age of electronic mass communication, even though he's the one that commissioned the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And how much more efficient would it have been to do that in an age of mass communication? I'll even say this. <coughs> Lives would have been spared had he waited. But he didn't. So let's look at the way in which he came here together. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to John chapter 1, verse 1. When, when God chose to reveal himself, as Christians believe, in Jesus Christ, how did he reveal himself? And what was his strategy to spread that message to the world? That's what we're going to press into as we begin this new series that starts today called The Reveal. So let's start at the beginning of John. We're going to work our way through it um, over the course of this series. John chapter 1, verse 1. It's a verse that we opened to um, at the Ash Wednesday service just a couple days ago. In the beginning. I also want to let you know before I forget, if you don't have a Bible at home, We'd love to give you one free today. Each and every week, I want to try to remember to give that announcement. If you don't have one, please take one as a gift to you. Here we go. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. All right. How far are we into John right now? <laughs> We're one verse in. And we have already exceeded the limits of language. How can you be is and was? How does that work? How can you be both is and was? And he writes, says this about the opening of John's gospel. He said, John knows 
perfectly well. He's making language go beyond what's normally possible. It's Jesus that makes him do it. He was an eyewitness and he had seen and experienced something so remarkable. God had revealed something so remarkable that he had to stretch the limits of language to even try to attempt to introduce him in this book. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it is a collection of carefully vetted ancient documents. The individual documents are written over the course of thousands of years by multiple authors on three different continents by real people like John. And one of the things that you're going to see is all these diverse authors, they testified to some being that nobody would have made up because you can see it in their writings. They are attempting through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to describe things that are simply indescribable to us. Things that are exceeding our ability to fully comprehend or explain. And right out of the gate, John reveals some things about the nature of reality that stretch our minds beyond their normal capacities. Well, this Lent, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to press into revelations about God that can be found in the Gospel of John, and we are going to be stretched. If you had started at the beginning of the Bible and started working your way this way uh, towards John, you would have already been stretched. In fact, one of the things that would be interesting to do, we'll put these up on the screens real quick here, is to, to contrast how the Bible itself opens in Genesis 1-1 and how John opens in 1-1, in his 1-1. Look at this. In Genesis 1-1, the very beginning of the Bible, we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And how does John start? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So if you started in Genesis, and you were having a hard time, that's understandable. It is hard enough to get our mind around an eternal God who can create out of nothing. And as you continue to read in in the, the Genesis, you're going to see that God separated light from darkness when he said, let there be light. And to try to get your mind around all that is tough enough. But then comes John. And he reveals that the beginning is just the beginning. When he says what he says. And as he goes on, N.T. Wright puts it like this. The word is bringing into being the new creation in which God says once more, let there be light. And then John launches into this whole theme that is woven throughout the book of John where he's contrasting light and darkness and how Jesus brought a light into the world, into a dark world. And on Wednesday, many of us, when we gathered here at the Ash Wednesday service, we gathered to humble ourselves and to reflect and to say, God, would you shine your light into our lives? And not just for the purpose of feeling bad, but so that it could illuminate and say, where are we not aligned with this Jesus that we claim to follow? How can we align with him? Because that's what this is about. That's what this this gospel is about. That's what our faith is about. N.T. Wright goes on to say this. He said, the word became flesh. And he's commenting on what John says. The word became flesh, that is, became human, became one of us. He became, in fact, the human being we know as Jesus. That's the theme of this gospel. If you want to know who the true God is, look long and hard at Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, the author and perfecter of our faith didn't write a book. The master teacher didn't found a university. The great commission giver didn't give his followers new communication devices. 
let's look at what he did do. And all we have to do is just keep reading here in John, picking up with verse 35. The next day, again, John, a different John, was standing with two of his disciples. And John looked at Jesus and as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And then Jesus says these words, which you can find in other places where Jesus said the same thing. He says, come and see. Come and see. That's the strategy that Jesus used. Come and see. You want to know what this is about? Follow me. Words are important. Jesus used words. We refer to the Bible as the written word of God. Words are important and they're incomplete. Jesus says, come and see. Jesus says, follow me. And, and, and I think we can relate to this. I tried to think of just a real concrete example of, of where words fall short and where you would want people to come and see. And I was thinking about, imagine if, if you were a representative from Apple and your job was to go find new markets in the Amazon rainforest. All right, so you go into the Amazon rainforest and your region is a region where the people have never seen electricity. They have no written language. They have real no understanding of the outside world. And so your job is to go and explain computers and the internet to them. Would any of you struggle using words to try to... Uh, you'd want to show them, right? If that was your job, if that was your charge, you would try to show them. Show them. It would be far easier to show. And may I present to you, it would be far easier to try to describe using words a computer and the internet than Jesus of Nazareth. May I also present to you how important it is that we present the whole thing as best we can. Because imagine if you're going to these, this group of people and you, you're trying to explain a computer, but your computer doesn't have a working screen. That, that makes it almost impossible to describe, right? Or imagine you've got a screen, but you have no, no way to input into it. You have no keyboard. You don't have touch screen capabilities. So now trying to explain it is, is just, it's not going to be complete, right? Or imagine you have no power source. So you're trying to now use words to describe this thing that just looks like an interesting piece of material, right? Also think about this way. What if your computer's got a virus and every time you, you, you type something in or try to do something, it's off a little bit. Isn't that like our faith? This is why it's so important that we, we go deeper and deeper so that we can authentically, as best we can in our limited capabilities, show people the real thing. The real thing. This is why we, we just can't start picking and choosing. We just can't start omitting or adding. We, we, we can't decide what we're going to embrace and what we're going to reject or fail to keep discovering. If we do those types of things, then we're going to be describing or modeling something that is not authentic Christianity. It's something we've created. It's something that, that we've developed on our own. And that's what a guy named David Koresh did. I'm going to come back to, to him in, in just a little bit. I'm going to reference him in, in, in just a minute. He took his eyes off the example and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. He failed to stay within the guardrails of the scriptures that he was preaching. He failed to embrace external accountability. He led people down a dark path. 
In the person of Jesus Christ, God revealed truth after truth after truth. And some of the things that that Jesus revealed are things that people expected. And there were things that nobody saw coming. And that would be true in your life as well if you set out to follow him. There had never been anyone like him, and yet like him is what we're all called to become. And very early, people on started saying, you got to come and see. You got to come and see. You got to experience this. Let's pick up right where we left off. Verse 40, chapter 1, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at Peter and said, You are Simon, son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. Andrew had an encounter with Jesus that he wasn't able to fully describe. He was just getting to know Jesus himself. So what did he do? He said to his brother, Come and see. You've got to see this. And he brought his brother to Jesus. And right away, Jesus began to reveal truth to Peter. Truth about the person that Peter was created to be. Truth that we're going to watch unfold as we work our way through John. And that's not all we're going to see between now and Easter. We're going to see Jesus reveal things to men and women, to sinners and saints, to people from all walks of life. And some of them we're going to see as Jesus reveals these things, they step towards the light even though it's uncomfortable. And others want to extinguish that same light. And those who today choose to to keep the light of Christ at arm's distance do for a lot of different reasons. And one of them I was reminded of as as I've been watching a series called Waco. Maybe some of you guys have seen it. It's It's a story about some events that unfolded near Waco, Texas in 1993 that involved a guy named David Koresh. And this show is affecting me on multiple levels. But the one level I want to share about today is the level of, oh no. Oh no. As this story is unfolding, I can think of countless people who are watching that show and it's confirming the narrative they have in their head. Not too long ago, I think it was like two weeks ago, some TV host made the comment that those who hear from God... Those who hear from God are, are mentally ill or something like that. And, and watching a show like this would confirm that, right? They would say, oh, see, this is the things that Christians do. And so they're all like that. David Koresh claimed to be a Christian. And he gathered a group of followers that lived together in a compound that they called Mount Carmel. And in the TV series, the actor who plays Koresh speaks as though God still speaks to people. As Christians, do we say that's true? We do. Because Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. When in, in, the, in the show, um, the Koresh character, the actor, talks about how we're called to conform to God's law, not the standards of this world. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? Yeah. In, in this uh, miniseries, the actor stresses the importance of the Bible. <laughs> we do that all the time here. Everything we do is built around it. And in the, the miniseries, the actor refers to other believers as family. And that's what Jesus taught us. He, he referred to God as Father, and, and those who follow his Father's will, obedient to him, they're, they're his family. But these next words I'm going to give you, I, I, I don't say these as cliche. I don't see these as a joke. I say this with all seriousness. 
Koresh was as far from an example of a follower of Jesus as Larry Nasser is from an exemplary model for athletic trainers. Koresh does not represent authentic Christianity, even if some of the words that he said come out of his mouth line up with Jesus. Because the church that Jesus of Nazareth established taught one another to recognize and call out false prophets. We were taught to do that from right from the beginning. If there was someone who is claiming to be a prophet and they are not, call that out. The church of Jesus Christ, the one that he established, taught one another to recognize and call out blind guides. Those who have good intentions, perhaps, but are misleading people because they don't know the truth or the full truth. The church of Jesus Christ was taught to distinguish the voice of the good shepherd from the voice of the father of lies. The church of Jesus Christ, especially when it came to leaders, said there should not be pride among you. There should not be greed among you. There should not be a hint of sexual immorality among you. That's what we were taught. The church of Jesus Christ, the one that Jesus of Nazareth established, encouraged everyone to search the scriptures, and to fact check. That's what we were taught. But how will people know this? How will people know that we're different than what they're seeing on TV? That there is still a God who does speak, that there are laws that he established, that there is nothing like the word of God, and that we're invited into the most amazing family that there is. How will people know that? If we can be a come and see people. Words are important. The words you choose to use with friends, coworkers, others, they're important. Come and see. That, that's going to be the most important piece. And we see that as, as, as John is introducing these themes right away, he gives us the example that we already had in the very next part that we come to. If we just keep reading verse 43, we see this repeated. We see this, follow me, says Jesus, and the people say, wow, come and see to others. Very next verse. 43 through 46. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from, the, 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 from that place. This starts with a B. The city of Andrew and Peter, Bethesda. Philip uh, found Nathaniel. So now Philip, Jesus says, come and see to Philip. Philip finds Nathaniel and says to Nathaniel, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And Nathaniel says to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. The pattern continues. Jesus invites people to follow him and those who do invite others to come and see. And as they do, God reveals more and more of who he is and who we are and what God is up to. Like it does here with Nathaniel. What's Nathaniel's reaction? When he hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, he says, Nazareth? What good comes out of there? Well, if we keep reading and get to the end of John, we reveal why. it's revealed why. Does anyone know where Nathaniel's from? Let's take a look. John 21. So now we're moving all the way to the end of John. John 21, verses 1 through 2. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Time and Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana. Nathaniel of Cana. Remember where he's from. He's from a village called Cana. 
Nathaniel's from a village called Cana, which is about eight miles from guess where? Nazareth. So he lived about eight miles from Nazareth. So he's familiar with Nazareth. And he doesn't believe anything good can come from there. Why does Jesus call someone that lived eight miles from Nazareth? A person from Cana? I'm sure there were a number of reasons, but I never noticed this reason before. Now let's go back to chapter 1 and let's pick up where we left off. If we had more time, we'd read the rest. There's just a couple more sentences that we're going to leave out where Nathaniel meets Jesus. Jesus reveals things that nobody else could have known. And Nathaniel is, whoa, Philip was right. This is the Messiah. So now Nathaniel is come to faith in Jesus. And the very next incident, the very next thing that happens after Nathaniel recognizes that this Jesus is the real deal, the very next pericope, it's called, starts like this. John 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding where? At Cana in Galilee. Now, if we can leave this up, Scott, again for just a minute, I want to point out a couple things about this. There's so many layers to Scripture. Yeah, you guys, so many layers. The first thing I want to point out is this. As Jesus of Nazareth performs his very first sign, if you go on to read this account of this wedding in Cana, we rec- we, it gets to the end of that account, and it says this is the first sign that Jesus performed. Where did he perform the first sign? In Cana. So, and he performs it at a wedding in a small village like Cana. Everyone's going to turn out for this wedding. This is a big deal. So everyone from Cana is at this event where Jesus performs his first sign. And as these people from Cana watch Jesus of Nazareth perform a sign, it would have been pretty easy to dismiss, right? Because he's from Nazareth. But now they have one of their own who says, you guys, there's more to it. This guy's for real. You know, I look at these things that, that, that are so subtle. John doesn't spell all this out for us. He's revealing it through these different clues. Jesus is playing chess. He is moves ahead of everyone. He's calling the right people at the right time. And even though it may look random, like, why would you pick this? It's all part of what he's doing. Things that we could just miss. We could easily miss if we don't come and see. And aren't a part of a, of a community where this kind of thing is happening all the time in our midst. Now, I said there was one thing that, or two things I want to point out. Here's the second thing I want to point out. Let's go back to the passage, John 2, 1. It says on the, what? Third day, there was a wedding at Cana. As you're reading through John or rereading through John, pay attention to how many times those two words show up before we get to the end. Third day. Third day, third day, third day. And if you know the punchline, don't say it yet. Let people get to the end, all right? Because that third day is pretty significant, isn't it? Amen, amen. All right, well, there's a place to write this down in your notes. Words are important, but words alone are, were never part of the plan to just have words. The invitation has always been come and see. So I encourage you to write this down. Jesus' plan to reach the world is through come and and see communities where people are discovering and connecting and serving and reaching out, giving and leaving a legacy. Um, Jesus' original plan is not a was. The come and see wasn't a was. Well, it was a was, but it's also an is. 
That's why I had us write that one in. That's still the plan. Especially in a, word, in a world where words are just so easy. People are hearing words all the time. What are they seeing? What are they experiencing that's different in us? Here's your invitation um, as we begin this Lenten season. I'd encourage you to write this down. What is your come and see next step? Because everyone's got one. What is yours? What is your come and see next step? And for some of you, it might be to take a fresh look at Jesus of Nazareth. To go beyond what you see in pop culture. To go beyond what you may have learned as a child. To go beyond the Jesus who may have been misrepresented to you online or, or in some sophomore college class. But to dig deeper. A good, good place might be that, that book that we recommend, that book of John. John for Everyone. We also want to encourage you to consider some of those practices that we talk about here. And that, that Lent insert that's in your bulletin. Praying, fasting, reflecting. We encourage you to get to know Emmanuel Children's Home. Because Jesus' brother James, he said there's two things. If you, want to, if you want to get as close to authentic Christianity as you can, two things. One, keep yourself from being polluted by the world. And what's the other one? Visit widows and orphans in their distress. If you want to experience what this is about, try doing those two things. Pull yourself away from corrupting influences for a while. Go and visit widows and orphans. Experience it, right? For some of you, it might, your next step might be to explore Christianity up close. We'd love to, commu- to, to help you in any way we can with that. N.T. Wright made this comment in his book that I really believe is true. If you are, if your next step is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to experience this myself more and more. Dig in. says this, uh, what Andrew and Simon Peter thought they were doing was looking for the Messiah. What they didn't realize is that the Messiah was looking for them. And I'm seeing a lot of nods right now because that was a lot of our experience. We thought it was us looking for God and all along. See, I'm looking for us. It was just a matter of our eyes being open to that. And what a beautiful thing that is. So for some of you, that, that's probably your next step. Press deeper into Jesus. Really get to know him. Experience him. For most of us, there's a challenge to do that and. To press deeper and. To help us become more and more and more of a come and see community. Where the more and more they come, they experience God with us. When Jesus called um, Peter... And he gave him that new name, right? We see that Peter became more rockier as time went on. He had his ups and downs, but he became more rockier as time went on. That's what the name Peter means, rock. God gave us the name Emmanuel. Help us become more Emmanueler. The word that means God with us, right? Help us become more of that. We need you to. We need all of us to do this. And we put a couple different pieces here. You see in your notes, discovering, connecting, serving, reaching out, giving, leaving a legacy. All of these, all of these areas are areas that all have to work together. All have to work together. And I, and I had an aha moment, um, a couple of them, but I'll tell you about one of them just for the sake of time here, that put all of those together. Uh, I was up at camp. It was with our um, preteen group. And I was heading out to my cabin, and we're up in northern Minnesota, Covenant Pines Bible Camp. And I step out, and I'm heading towards my cabin, and I look up at the stars. And I grew up in the country, and I forgot what the stars look like when you're out of town. And there was not a cloud in the sky, and they were so brilliant. 
And I had this God moment where, God, who are you that you're mindful of us? You did this and you care about us. And so I had this God moment. And then what do you want to do when you have that? You want to invite others to experience that with you, right? So I go back to the lodge where, where, the, where some of the leaders are because we came up early to get everything set up for the rest of the campers. So I go back to the lodge. I go, get on your coats. Let's get outside. I got to show you something. And they're all like, what, what, what? And they're all coming out there. We go out there in the freezing cold. And I said, look at those stars. That God wants to meet these campers this weekend. We get to tell them about that God. And you can kind of start to feel the energy as, and, and the shivering as we were out there in the cold. <laughs> but So that's the discover. That's the connect. But then there's the serve, right? Why were we up there? We were setting up. We were getting ready. And those with acting skills were preparing the skits. And those with sound skills and lighting were getting that all ready. And we were getting the sets ready and the games ready because we were all going to serve them. And they were going to experience this thing that was all set up, right? Now, that's not going to do any good at all if we don't reach out. If we didn't tell the campers, oh, by the way, (laughs) we're doing this event up at Covenant Binds. You got to come and experience so there's that whole reach out piece. Do you see how this works together? And then the give. If we don't have any gas money, if we don't have money to rent the camp, right? We, so we pool our resources to make this happen. And then there's the legacy. We had the honor, those of us who are more seasoned in our years, the honor of serving alongside the next generation. And the leaders we were raising up, it's not just the leaders we brought, it's also every one of those campers is a potential leader. Do you see how all this works together? That's church. That's his vision. Let's become more emmanuel Sound good? I want to invite the worship band to come up and let's seal this with a great song. We actually sang this song at one of the camps. It's a powerful song that speaks to the wonder of who this God is and the wonder that this God has this love for us. So let's pray and let's uh, seal this with a song. Father, we are so thankful. We're so thankful that you've invited us to come and see. Words are beautiful and we're about to see them and they're inadequate. So help us to lose ourselves in the wonder of this moment as the worship band leads us in this great song. In Jesus' name, amen.